Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for just the wonderful opportunity we have to meet here in this place and worship you freely and uh, learn from your word. Lord, I just pray that um, you will use the word spoken today uh, through me and through your word that uh, we'll be uh, convicted of sin and changed and transformed by the power of God. Father, just thank you for um, everyone that's in here. Lord, we all know that uh, we're all in here in this place for a purpose. And um, Lord, I just pray that we uh, will see you and know you more. Uh, love you more, love the people around us more uh, when we leave here today. And uh, God, I just love you. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross and his blood shed for us. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, I'm Brett Starr. I'm the director of student ministries. And uh, I think that explains why I'm uh, inappropriately dressed on a Sunday to preach. Hold on. Sorry. And, uh, but if I, if I wore anything else, I'd get some flack from all the, uh, students in the student ministry. Basically, uh, this shirt is a promotion for, um, a yearly youth conference that we go to. It's here in Columbus. It's called Dare to Share. Um, there's thousands of kids that come from all over the place, uh, to Columbus. They learn what the gospel is, how to share the gospel, and they give, we, we give them the opportunity to do it. So, Invis- Invincible is not describing me, it's describing the God that, uh, uh, these kids are going to learn about and uh, hopefully share with other people. So, and basically, what I've told the, the uh, students is um, that I'm going to wear this shirt until Dare to Share comes the last weekend of January. So, I'm going to wear it every Sunday and have been for I don't know two months or so already. So, they always ask me if it's been washed, and it does get washed. It's a little softer. It's nice. So, so anyway, that's what I'm doing. So, if you you know wonder if I don't you know, have enough money to buy another shirt, uh, know that I do. So I just don't want to get in trouble from the kids. So anyway, um, it's a privilege to be able to, uh, to come to you this morning and, and share God's word. So let's get right into it. We're talking about Jesus's disciples and the word disciple in its simplest form means a learner, one who learns from someone else and adopts their way of thinking and living to be their own. And I think Jesus, though, expanded on that definition in Mark 8, 34, when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So denying ourselves is a key element in the life of a Christian and being a disciple and follower of Christ. And basically denying ourselves is exactly what Jesus said in the garden when he said, God, not your will or not my will, but yours be done. And I think Jesus wants us all to get to that point where his will becomes our will and our wants. We're, we're, I think we're programmed and by our sinful nature to want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And uh, if it's not that way, we, we get a little selfish about it. But Jesus, I think God, he wants us to uh, make his wants become ours to the point where we're totally transformed by God's power and his desires. And we rid ourselves of those sinful fleshly desires that we have. And he, he can change us and transform us by who he is. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness or image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So a disciple is this. It's a person who learns about Jesus, a learner, denies themselves, holds on to God, transforms by God's power to be like Jesus, and then one day is changed and is, is a sinless person together with God in heaven someday. 
And this is what Jesus' disciples were becoming like while he was with them. And before we talk about the disciples, um, what I want to do is kind of dispel a myth about the disciples. Uh, there weren't just 12 disciples who were white guys with thick, white guys with thick beards. Uh, there, was, there was a lot more disciples. In Luke 6 and Luke 19, the Bible describes crowds and multitudes of disciples. The Greek word for multi, multitude is plethos, where we get our word plethora. So the Bible describes there was a plethora of disciples. There weren't just 12. But the 12 that we all know were described as the 12 disciples, but Jesus at one point, more importantly, he called them the 12 apostles. So he had a great number. Jesus had a great number of disciples and followers and learners, but he had only 12 apostles. And Luke 6 tells us, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples, all of them, and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Some people think, uh, some scholars, people smarter than I, um, think that that was about a year, year and a half into Jesus' public ministry, from the time he met some of them to the time he called them as apostles. So um, let's name them. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, when I heard that uh, my topic was the disciples, I nearly asked for eight weeks <laughs> because we just can't cover all that there is about the disciples in, in, in 40 minutes. So what I want to do is try to paint a broad picture of them as a group. But more importantly, as I thought about it, our series is about Jesus. And so I, wanted to, I want to try to show us and uh, have God's word show us how Jesus interacted with these guys, what he taught them, what he did with them to bring them to, to, to the point uh, where he left the earth and gave them the Holy Spirit and sent them out. And we're going to see what Jesus did with them. So let me describe them a little bit. Um, I did take the liberty uh, to, I made up uh, a little, it's front and back, it's out in the lobby on the end of the, the counter there. It's basically a short, small biography of each of the apostles. You might want a, a microscope to read it. Somebody already asked me, can you put that like in a four-page thing online? So maybe we'll do that. But um, So anyway, if you want to grab that, it's kind of interesting. It, it, it tells of the, uh, all of the, how, how each of them died and, um, you know, through hi- historical accounts and stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting what these guys went through and suffered for Christ. So if you want to grab that, that might help you out and get you started on who these guys are. But in this group of 12, Jesus had some tough fishermen. He had guys who knew the scriptures. He had a government worker, tax man. He had a guy who liked politics. And he, we had a whole group of other guys we don't know much about other than their names. There's nothing special about these guys until Jesus came along. Most of them didn't always understand everything was, Jesus was saying, even to the point where Jesus pretty much called them stupid. You know, if you read it in your Bible, he would tell them something. They'd be like, huh? And he'd be like, are you so dull? And we have this picture of Jesus, right, you know? are you so dull? But I think Jesus in our terms was like, are you, are you dumb? Don't you get it? Don't you understand what I'm saying? And, and so these guys just didn't get it a lot of the times. Some of them, uh, a lot of them doubted Jesus even after his resurrection. If you go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says they were standing there. He was standing there with his, his apostles. Some of them even doubted him then when he said, go and make other disciples. Some of them were even doubting at that point. <clears throat> we don't even know how many of them actually fully believed or when they believed uh, fully about who Christ was. One of them betrayed Jesus. 
Jesus called one of them Satan, and one of them was called the disciple who Jesus loved. And most of the time, this group of guys wondered if Jesus was for real. And uh, there were times where they did, and sometimes they doubted him, sometimes they just didn't know. And so as I was reading, I'm like, man, these guys sound like a bunch of teenagers. And, <laughs> sorry. And, uh, and, but they do. And as I was studying it again, there was, uh, I, I found that probably these guys, a lot of them, most of them were under 20 years old when they started following Jesus. And that explains a lot of times why they just, they just didn't have a clue. But the thing is, if you read the whole story about the apostles and, and look at their entire life, you'll see a group of guys who are changed by God himself and a man named Jesus Christ through Jesus. And God took these few boys who left all that they had to follow this guy, Jesus, who they believed to be God, and he changed them into men. And it was said about them, a couple of them at one point in the book of Acts. Now, when they, the leaders and rulers, the most powerful people in all of Israel, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So these guys had been with Jesus and it was said of them by the most powerful people at that time. We know they're not so special. They're pretty seemingly dumb guys on the outside. But we can tell they've spent time with Jesus. Isn't that how Jesus changes us? We're not really, we're nothing before Christ. And, uh, and he comes in and changes us. And hopefully, that's another definition of a disciple. Is somebody who people... Look at them, the way they act, how they speak. And they say, that person has spent time with Jesus. So I guess that begs the question of us. Uh, how are you doing? How are we doing? Can people look at us, if you call yourself a Christian and a disciple, and say, they've spent time with Jesus? Or how much time are you spending with Jesus? Or to pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and be joyful always, for this is... The will of God for us in Christ Jesus. How much do we look like Christ? And how many people notice that? So, we've got to look at how Jesus, what he did with these guys to bring them to that point where people would say that about them. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. This is nearing the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. And at this point, he has had the Last Supper with his disciples. Judas is planning his betrayal. And Jesus has told the disciples that he's going to leave them and send the Holy Spirit to them. So Jesus is actually talking to 11 of these guys, his 11 apostles. Judas is, uh, uh, he's planning his betrayal. And all of a sudden he starts to pray. And this is usually called Jesus' high, high priestly prayer. So look at verse 1 in, in John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. When I read that, I thought of my kids. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus is teaching little kids how to pray. So they, you know, look up and around when they're praying. And we're like, close your eyes and bow your head. That's what you're supposed to do. It's biblical. But actually, they could look at us and be like, no, no, no. Look at Jesus. He lifted his eyes to heaven. And we even sang about that. We lift our eyes to heaven, right? So it's a biblical thing to keep your eyes open when you pray, especially when you're driving. So... Yep. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Just got to have it and you start praying in the car and you're like, dear Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I've done that. Jesus says, all right, here we go. Keep, keep with me here. Jesus says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life. Now, don't miss this. This is one of my favorite verses uh, in the whole Bible. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So when people ask you, what is eternal life? What is that? Is it living forever? Eh, sure. But eternal life is knowing God. It's not to know about God. It's not to believe that there is a God. It's to know God. And the same word there used uh, for to, to know God was the same word used in Genesis uh, to describe Adam, how he knew Eve. And in Genesis 4.1, it says, Adam, and Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. Same exact word. So to know God is to know him in an intimate way as a husband and wife know each other. Probably all of us know a, uh, a couple, a married couple who spent so much time together, they've been married so long, they, they, they say the same things, they begin to act kind of the same in ways, they even begin to look like each other at times. You know, I knew a couple, they just, I, I'm just like, wow, they must be related, but they're not, but <laughs> I think that sounds bad. Uh, but, but really, you, we all know a couple like that. We all know a married couple who they just, they just seem to be one. And that's what God created marriage for us, for us two to become one. And that's the same idea all throughout Scripture that God wants to know us in that way. The ultimate goal of becoming a Christian is not so we can just live in a wonderful place called heaven someday and get there and be like, made it, Whew, finally made it. But the ultimate goal is to live our lives in such close relationship with Jesus Christ that we, suppose, that, that we start to look like him, act like him, talk like him, cry like him, laugh like him. I think that's what God wants. That's what a disciple is. We're not going to someday be Jesus. There's some religions out there that teach that. Mormonism teaches you can become a God. The Bible does not teach that. It teaches that we were created in the image of God. It teaches in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Romans 8.29 says, as we read before, that we are, con- we are created to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So we're created to be conformed to the image of Jesus, which is the image of the invisible God, and we're created in that image of God. So here's the thing, as we talk about all this, these verses, and we talk about being a disciple, I think we've all, as, as if we call ourselves a Christian, we have an image to uphold. So how are we doing upholding that image? Are we doing a good job of being an image of the invisible God and letting God live through us and show that to other people? we have an image to uphold as Christians. Let's keep going. In verse 4, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus makes a statement of his eternal existence. He said, I've been with, been with God before the world began. And he says that I have accomplished the work you've given me to do. Now, the word there, it's implying that there's a work that has been accomplished and one that is going to be accomplished. And we all know that the ultimate work of Jesus, um, he came to this earth to live a perfect life we couldn't live, to die a death he didn't deserve in order to pay the price we couldn't pay so that we could have a life that we cannot earn. Let me say that again. Jesus' ultimate work on the earth was to live a perfect life we could not live so that he could die a death he did not deserve 
in order to pay the price we could not pay so that we could live a life that we could not earn. And that's the eternal life of knowing God that he talked about earlier. That once was separated from God because of sin. But then Jesus came and bridged that gap for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. C.S. Lewis calls that the great exchange. It's kind of like Jesus came and said, I'll trade you your sin, my righteousness. Seems like a pretty easy decision. It's kind of like I'll trade your Civic for my Ferrari or something. I think we'd all take the keys and, okay. But that's what he offers us. But another aspect of his work on the earth that he had accomplished was to train other men and women so that they could carry out his work on earth of reconciling people to God or basically bringing people back into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In the next uh, part of this prayer, um, and remember, Jesus, he's in front of his 11 apostles, okay? And he's got his eyes open, praying to heaven. He's praying in front of them. So he's communicating to God in prayer, but he's also communicating to these guys. He knows that they are listening to him. And now we get, you know, because it's written down, we get, a, we get to peek into uh, what Jesus had for these guys and what his plan was for them and what he had done with them. And if you want to call it a strategy, you can call it a strategy, but what he did with these guys to bring them to that point where people said, wow, they've spent time with Jesus. So listen to verse six. He says, I have revealed you, or more accurately, it's, it's translated, I have revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Jesus said, here's what I did first. I've revealed God's name to them. Revealed God's name to them. One of the things that I think uh, we as Christians have the hardest time with is talking about the name of Jesus. I think it's easy for us to say, I believe in God. I go to church. That's simple. But when we start to stick the name of Jesus in there for God, it gets a little harder. It's a little more shaky with people. Let's share a few verses here. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So obviously Jesus is the holder of this name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Here's what I think. I think we can no longer take the approach. And frankly, I don't think we have the time to continue nice little happy conversations of, I go to church and I believe in God. And have people stand there and agree with you and say, oh yeah, I go to church too and I believe in God. What we need to do, I think, I think we need to follow up that kind of wimpy conversation that we have with people um, with a question. And here's a question. So what do you think about Jesus? Then see where your conversation goes. See if it's nice and happy and, oh yeah, what church do you go to? See what happens. And I, had, I actually had the opportunity to try that out when we had the power outage uh, in Royal Manor. It was out for quite some time and uh, I was a part of that over on Lincolnshire. And we, uh, New Life, decided we're going to hand out food to people, okay? Because, you know, everybody's food went bad from the freezer. And, you know, it was just a, it was a good thing that we could do to share God's love with people. So I was in on that, handing out some food one day. This guy comes by, gets some food from me. We have a nice little conversation. And he, I, I find out that he's Jewish. 
And then um, we're talking more and he tells me how he's visited other churches because I tell him I'm from New Life and I work there. And he's like, oh, that's great. It's a good thing. That's the thing. Every, if anybody finds out I'm a youth pastor, oh, that's a good thing. We need, those young people need some good examples. So, but anyway, that's what happens every time. So uh, this guy, I find out he goes to churches, he goes to different synagogues, and he's like, I just want to know, you know, I like to figure out what other people think and believe and just enlighten myself. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I was like, well, well tell me what you think about Jesus. And he just like shut off and he said, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. He couldn't even say the name Jesus. He called Jesus that. He purposely, he's like, I'm not going to talk about that. And he pretty much took his food and left. So the name of Jesus is, is offensive. And Jesus knows that. He knew that. And he said in Matthew 5, verse 11, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So did this guy persecute me? No, he just left. But Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. Speak my name. People might not like it. But you need to speak my name. Because great is your reward in heaven. So honestly, I just, I just think we need to stop talking about that I go to church and I believe in God. We need to talk about Jesus. Who is God. And who is the head of the church. You know, if I talk about the church, a lot of people ask me, well, do you guys like follow the Pope or what? I'm like, no, follow Jesus. But that gets a little shaky and hard. But that's what we need to do. The second thing that Jesus did in his training is giving them God's word. Jesus said in verse 8, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus said he gave them the words that God gave him. He gave them the word of God. And not just speaking the name of Jesus. That not, that's not just the only hard thing. I think some Christians, we bought into the lie, and it goes like this. You might be the only Jesus someone might see. Catchy and nice, but I think it's a little flawed. Because if people have spent so much time with us that they see the ways of Jesus being lived out in us, but we never speak the name of Jesus to them and we never share the word of God with them. And uh, 1 Corinthians 3.18 says we're to reflect the glory of God. We're a reflection of Christ. If we never point them back to what we are reflecting, we've done those people a great disservice. We should not be the only Jesus somebody sees. We should always be pointing them back to him. And I think we can't think that anyone ever is going to get saved by you being a nice person. Nobody ever got saved because they saw you act nice and kind. We're not called to be nice and kind. Well, we are called to be kind. But we're not, we're not supposed to be nice, uh, you know, do what people make them feel good kind of thing. Tell them about Jesus and see how they react to you. That's what Jesus did. Here's who I am. He threw it out there. So we've, we've got to get some courage. Tell people about Jesus. Share the word of God with them. And that's the thing. What if, what if you do ask them the question, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, here's what I think. What do you think about Jesus? And then they ask you. And then you have to tell them. And they're like, well, how do you know that? Oh, my pastor told me. That's not going to fly with anybody. Especially people who are going to answer your question. 
It's just not. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hebrews four twelve says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and dissecting, or, uh, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus used the word of God to teach and train those who followed him, and we need to do the same thing. So we need to get into the word of God. We need to study it. We need to know how to answer people's questions. We need to, we need to have the confidence to be able to talk to them about Jesus, the one that we say we believe in, but we're too afraid to say it. And look at the result of Jesus sharing the word of God with them. In verse 8, he says, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus knew that his true followers received God's word. They came to know the truth about Jesus, and they believe in who he is. Jesus isn't just a good guy. He's not just a prophet. He's not just uh, uh, some good teacher. He's God. And if we don't paint that picture of Jesus and point people to Jesus who are around us, we're missing the boat. And we might even just flat out be ashamed of him. And ashamed to say that name because it's hard. Jesus never said it would be easy. But be reminded of what he said in Mark eight thirty eight. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I'm not so sure about you, but I don't want to be, I don't want, I don't want Christ to say he's ashamed of me because of me being ashamed of him on the earth. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him, continue in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. And it's, it's better translated not so that we don't shrink from him in shame when we are before him at his coming. What do little kids do when they get in trouble? Do you want to do that before Jesus? I don't. And I don't want you guys to either. We, don't, we shouldn't be ashamed of the name of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's his power that works in me. So we don't need to be ashamed. So Jesus shared God's name. He revealed God's name with his disciples. He shared his words. And third, he prayed for them. In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus prayed for his 11 apostles at that time. We need to pray for those people who are, who are already Christians that they'll grow in their faith. And we need to pray for the people who we might think might become Christians, that they would be. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So what are we supposed to be praying for? According to 1 Timothy, God's desires that all men to be saved. In prayer, I think, it's not that we're trying to change God's mind and beg him to do something until he does it. I think prayer is aligning God's desires with our desires, making his desires ours, denying our sinful, selfish desires that the Bible says only causes fights and quarrels among you. Get rid of those. Replace them with mine. But when that happens and we pray his desires, I think he, I think he says, great, I agree with you. Let's go do it. 
So we've got to be ready if we are agreeing with God and what we need to do. If we say, I agree, God's, God desires all men to be saved. I do too. Yeah, he might say, all right, I'm going to I'm going to choose you and help you. You're going to help me. Does God need us? No. But he chooses us and gives us the opportunity to join him in, in, in changing people's lives through the power of Christ. So we've got to be ready for him to uh, take us and maybe use us to change people's lives. Jesus prayed for his disciples in, in this chapter couple things. He prayed that God would protect them so that they are unified. He prayed that they would have a full measure of the joy of Christ and that they would be sanctified or set apart and set free from the power of sin by the word of God, because God's word is truth. Um, the unified thing there, uh, when I was watching Don Cordell play drums, it was cool to see Don back in here playing drums. And know that he might, he might be somewhere else in the body of Christ, but we're unified because of Jesus. And he said to me uh, last night, he's like, well, maybe through your preaching and my drumming, somebody will come to Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, how awesome is that? That's unity. That is cool. I think that's really neat. So those are things we need to pray for people, that Jesus prayed for them. And the next thing that Jesus does in the training of his disciples and is in the next few verses. Verse 10. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. There's that thing about God's name again. So that they may be one as we are one. There's that unity again. When I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. That's what it is. He protected them and he guarded them. None has been lost except the one, listen to this, the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. We're not going to talk much about the individual apostles, but Judas was chosen as one of the 12. Same rights as all the other guys, same opportunities, but he was doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. That messed with me for a while while I was reading it. Um... But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something interesting to meditate on. That God um, chose this guy to fulfill scripture. It says he keeps them in God's name and he has guarded them. The Bible says that as Christians, we're part of the family of God. And I think as a family, we protect each other. We guard each other. And Jesus was displaying that to his apostles. In Paul, um, Paul wrote to Timothy in the first letter uh, to Timothy. He said, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort or encourage him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So that word there for encourage or exhort, um, whatever translation you have, it's a courtroom term that's used for a lawyer who comes alongside someone and they aid them, they give them help in order to protect them from something. It's not just coming along and encouraging, saying, boy, good job. It's actually providing them with something to protect them. So I'm going to meddle a little bit and uh, help us think about all these groups. What, do, what are we to, to protect people from? So he says, exhort or protect an older man as your father. 
I think sometimes the older generation of Christians get complacent in their faith and sit in a pew, sit in a chair and say, oh, I've heard that before. We've got to protect against that. That's not a good place to be. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I've shared with you before. He probably said that over and over and over again. I want to remind you. The gospel shouldn't get old. God's word should not get old. There should always be new stuff that God is revealing to us. Because we have the Holy Spirit who enlightens us and teaches us all things in the mysteries of God. That the the natural man, the man without the Spirit, cannot understand the things of God. But we who do have the Holy Spirit can understand those things. And what what an awesome privilege to understand the words of God. I think we need to protect against that. And older women as mothers, I think... uh, Sometimes, uh, sometimes older women might get comfortable in the church and comfortable with the people that they're around, and the prayer chain turns into the gossip chain. We need to protect against that too. I think all of us can fall into that sometimes. And then here's my favorite. Treat younger men as brothers or protect them as brothers and protect younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Um, I teach a bunch of middle school boys. Plug your ears no, for a few minutes, but I'm just kidding. Uh, sometimes, a couple times in the past, uh, Wednesday nights, everyone's night, we have probably 50 middle school kids upstairs. And uh, most of you, when I, when I tell you, if you ask me and I tell you I like middle school kids, uh, they're like, people will say, well, God bless you. <laughs> You're wonderful. So... Uh, so, you know, middle school kids are wonderful. I think they're very brilliant and smart, and I've told them that. Sometimes, middle school boys, they don't have a clue how to treat a girl. And men, I think it's our responsibility to teach them. We need to protect them against pride and arrogance, and we need to teach them how to treat women. There have been times where I've sent the girls out of the room because I'm so fed up with those boys, and I tell them this. I say, imagine... Every dad, grandpa, uncle, brother of all of these girls that are in this room, imagine them standing in a circle around this room watching how you treat them. Most of them go, ugh. And I say to them, their dads, grandpas, uncles aren't here, but I'm their brother. And if you mess with them, you've got to answer to me. So I'm their brother. So you don't mess with them. I had to do that a couple times because I want to protect my sisters from middle school boys. <laughs> so, uh, and, and young men need to be, young men need to be protected from uh, seductive women that I think at times the enemy allows in the church to try to draw men away. And he puts them on screens and in magazines and pages. We need to protect each other, guys, from that stuff. So I think sometimes we've, we've gotten a little too comfortable in the church and not thought of ourselves as a family that protects and guards each other. But we need to do that. We kind of need to be like the holy, organized mob. <laughs> if there is such a thing, with all love and quietness and respectfulness. Sometimes middle, boy, middle school boys need an older brother. Right? So, and sometimes those girls need to be protected. 
in a nice way, with love. We've got to be aware that there are wolves in the world. Jesus sent his disciples out into the world. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. There's wolves out in the world. There's wolves in the church. And that was the number one wolf that, uh, that God, that Jesus guarded his disciples against false teachers. In Matthew 24, he says, many false prophets will arise in the last days and many will be led astray. So he assures his disciples that many false prophets, or as John calls them, antichrists, will come and deceive many. And don't think that it doesn't happen in this church. I think sometimes, I think God, God allows things. God allows people to come into churches to um, maybe present their ways to test us, to see if we know the word so we can point out heresy, so that we can guard one another against false prophets. Paul said in Galatians 1.9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a different gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. We've got to guard and protect each other from false teachers with the word of God. But that implies, again, we've got to know the word of God in order to do that. So Jesus says, I've guarded them, and not one has been lost except for Judas. One last thing that Jesus does in his training of the disciples is this. I've given them your word, and and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. And here it is. I have sent them into the world. For, the, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So he says, I've revealed my name to them. I've given them the word of God, prayed for them, guarded them, and now I'm sending them out. And if, if, if we look back at Mark chapter 3, where he appointed the 12, he says, God, or Jesus appointed the 12, designating them as apostles, for two things, that they might be with him. Remember that from the beginning of the sermon? That people saw these guys and said, they've spent time with Jesus. They might be with him and that they might be sent out to preach. That was his goal for these guys. To preach the word of God, to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus and to be with him. He wanted them to be with him. Now here's the question. Do we have the same calling as the apostles? In a way, yes, but in a way, no. We're not all going to stand up and preach the way that these guys did or do the same thing these guys did. I think they had a special calling on their life as the apostles. But Paul tells us, not that we're apostles, but he says we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what an ambassador does. An ambassador carries with him the name and honor of his country, and we carry the name and honor of our God, Jesus Christ. An ambassador carries with him the law of his country and holds to it no matter where he is in the world. And we carry the law of God written in this book and written on our hearts and we hold to it no matter where we are in the world. We don't cease to stop obeying God and his word because we're in a certain place. We shouldn't be Sunday Christians. An ambassador asks and petitions authorities greater than himself in order to be guarded and protected wherever he is. We have Jesus Christ on our side. And the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
That's the authority that we ask to guard and protect us. And as an ambassador, we're sent out by our ruler, our master, and our Lord to do this process and teach people this process so that they can be changed by God. To go out, speak the name of Jesus and not be, not be afraid of it. Speak the word of God and speak truth because the truth is what is going to set them free from their sin, not the way that we act. Although it's good to act. He prayed for him. We need to pray for people. He guarded them and he guarded them with the word of God because his word is truth. And then he sent them out. And we need to do the same thing with people that are the who, people who are in our lives. But who are the people that we are sent to? Uh, if we go back to John chapter 1, if we look in John chapter 1, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he first met a few of the guys that later he would call as the 12, two guys, John, or Andrew and most people think John, they're disciples of John the Baptist. And they took his trusted words when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They believed him and they started following Christ. Then Andrew went and got his brother Simon, brought him to Jesus. Then Jesus found Philip and he just called him and he said, Philip, come follow me. And then it ended up that Philip was from the same town, grew up with Andrew and Simon. And my guess is when Jesus called Philip, Philip saw these guys and were like, Oh, Andrew and Simon, you guys are with Jesus? Yeah, me too. Remember back in the old neighborhood kind of thing? I think that's probably what happened. Philip then found Nathaniel, who was a pretty smart guy, knew the Bible, and he tried to persuade him by saying, we found the Messiah that was written about in the law and the prophets. But Nathaniel didn't believe him, but he was persuaded to come and see. And then he ended up believing. Just come and see. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have come to faith in Christ by a John the Baptist type trusted friend that you trusted their words, they told you about Jesus and you believed them because of the word of God they shared with you? How many of you came to Christ because of a family member like Simon and Andrew? A family member loved you so much they t told you about Jesus. How many of you came to Christ because maybe you've, you'd heard it your whole life or uh, whatever, you've heard the gospel, but one day Jesus woke you up and he just called you and said, follow me. A lot of you. How many of you, when you got saved, you're like, Philip. And when you got saved, you came to church, you came somewhere else, you told somebody else you were a Christian, and somebody from the old neighborhood or school or work said, I'm a Christian too. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? And then you were encouraged in your faith because these people were Christians. How many of that's happened? You found out somebody's a Christian that you didn't know, and that encouraged you. So here's the thing. We've got all those kinds of people around us. So are we going to be a John the Baptist to somebody? Are we going to be an Andrew and go find a family member? Are we going to be a Philip that maybe, you know, maybe today's the day where God's saying, come on, follow me. You know, are we going to go to the old neighborhood and tell somebody what we know we should have told about Christ? You know, one of the, one of the coolest things is Facebook. <laughs> you can find like everybody, people you don't want to find that know you. <laughs> but... Like, just the other day, uh, some girl I went to, like, middle school with, you know, she found me and friended me. If you're on the end of Facebook, you know what that means. She friended me, and I friended her. And, uh, and <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, so, so then I said, I put, you can put a note on your Facebook. It's like, it says, Brett is, and then you can fill it out. Like, I'm happy, or I'm sad, or whatever. I put, Brett, uh, Brett needs people to pray for him because he's preaching. So she writes me back. She's like, preaching? Are you a pastor? What's the deal? You know, not like that was super shocking, I hope. But so <laughs> I haven't responded yet, but, but it was just, it's cool. People from, people from the old neighborhood, you have this ability to share the gospel. Jesus said, you're going to be doing greater works than I did when I was on the earth. And I think that's one of them is that we have this ability through technology to, to share the gospel with people that, you know, and that's a horrible thing about Facebook. You feel convicted because there's all these people like, I have like 300 people on this list and some of them I went to school with and I'm like, oh, I never told them about Jesus. Holy cow. Now I've got an opportunity. What do I do? Do I tell them the name of Jesus or do I just say I work in a church? I've got a choice, yeah. So we've all got those kind of people. And we've got to do those five things with them. And I think that's how Jesus did it with these guys. And we don't need to find another strategy. We need to look to Jesus and what he did. I've got some homework for you. So I work with teenagers. Got to give them some homework. Tonight... Not now. Don't cheat. The end of John 17, verse 20 through 26, Jesus prays for us. And I think that's cool. The God of the universe who created us prayed for us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it. Read the whole chapter, but read 20 through 26, verses 20 through 26. After you've read it, meditate on it. Pray to God and thank him for what he prayed for you. And ask him to, um, ask him to make those things that he prayed for you real in your life. And just... Just meditate on the fact that God prayed for you, that Jesus prayed for you. He said, I'm going to pray for all of those who will believe in the message that the apostles are going to bring. So I want you to think about that. So ultimately, if, we, if we're here and we say we're Christians and we're disciples, um, I think we've, we've got five things that we know we need to be doing. Sharing the name of Jesus with people, not just God. That doesn't mean much anymore the word God. Jesus does. We need to share the word of God with people. We need to pray for them. We need to guard them with God's word. And we need to send them out to go and do the same thing with people. Some of you might not say, no, I'm not a disciple. I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't get all this you're talking about. You know what you do? Go grab the John the Baptist in your life. The trusted friend that you know is a Christian. They might know you a little bit. Or the family member that you know every Christmas, they're going to tell you why it's called Christmas and not Xmas. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, maybe more maybe today, God is just saying like he did to Philip, come follow me. Or maybe you need to go to that person that you grew up with even in high school from the old neighborhood that you knew that they knew Jesus. And say, I heard about people from the old neighborhood knowing Jesus. And I knew you are into that stuff. Tell me a little bit more about it. That's what you need to do. But maybe you can be that John the Baptist people. Maybe you can be the Andrew, Philip. So I know there's a lot of people in here you can grab too. You can grab me out in the hallway. Grab a lot of people. Say, I want to know more about that Jesus guy. And I want to know what it means to really be a disciple. And if you, if you see somebody that you're like, man, I can tell they've spent time with Jesus. They're different. 
grab them. Because you know what? Somebody like that, they're going to love to tell you about Jesus and they won't be ashamed. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word, to love you, to love the people around us. God, change us through your word, change us through your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you again just that you sent your son to live a life we can't live, to die death that he did not at all deserve, to pay a price that we can't pay, to live so that we can live a life that we can't earn by doing any good works. can't earn it by going to church. We can't earn it by giving money, supporting a child. We can't, we can't do it on our own. And Father, you say that you give us a righteousness of God and we need to turn from our sin, put our faith in Jesus. Pray that you'll give people in here the courage to do that, to grab somebody and say, show me how to follow Jesus. Help us all to uh, love you more. Love the people around us, Lord. Pray you'll protect us from the enemy and his ways as we leave, it, leave this place. Help us not to forget the word that uh, has been spoken. Lord, help us to uh, get back in your word tonight and read the rest of John 17 and see how you prayed for us and be encouraged. And I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.